Joe presents Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby, together with Guinness. Okay, hello. You're very welcome to a very special edition of Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. This is our final episode. And uh, for a very special episode, we decided the last couple of episodes, we would just basically talk about ourselves. Um, last week was my chance and Chris Henry came on. And this week we turned the spotlight on to Barry. So I'm very excited. Barry, any announcements? So excited to talk about myself. For This is going to be a bumper three hour episode, I think. Um, I've got a lot of shit I need to get off my chest, man. I'm coming, for, I'm coming after people. Well, uh, yeah, so anyway, a little bit of housekeeping first up. Um, uh, this is the last piece of housekeeping for this season. Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby is on a new YouTube, YouTube channel each week. Uh, the video version of our show will be found on that channel. We have 900 people who have fallen for it so far, and hopefully they will continue to fall for it. So yeah. Are you, are you all set? Too. Are you all set? Do you want to fasten your seatbelt there? Yeah, I'm ready, man. Um, I've I've done no preparation for this. Just thought, of, like thinking about myself um, for a while, which was grand. Went for an old walk last night and did a bit of meditation this morning. I am at peace with my mind. Do your worst. I um I think I need to do more meditation. Um, Barry, um, I know you were just just off air. You were just describing um radio presenters who were just so they were staring into your soul they were so present whenever they were mm. listening Dermot so Dermot Whelan from Dermot and Dave we were on with them yesterday in Doolin on Today FM and Dermot I know was really into mindfulness and he was looking into my soul as he was talking to me he was so engaged and I was like that's because he's so mindful and I had meditated quite a bit so I was like no 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 trying to play mind games <laughs> games back with him <laughs> I wonder that's where we'll get to. We'll just be thinking thoughts and just throwing thoughts at each other. I'm uh, I'm one of the most mindless people you'll ever meet. <laughs> You're so at peace with your mind. You've, you've closed the door. You're gone. No, no, the opposite. I so because so an example this morning. Um, so I left the the girls to nursery this morning, and I lo- like no one like we're still pretty much locked down and I'm not driving anywhere. So I'm never in the car and I le- never listen to any music or any content or podcasts unless I'm in the car. So that was my one window. That was a precious five minutes on the way home from, uh, from nursery. Five minutes. <laughs> yes. And uh, my precious five minutes I wasted because I was staring out the window like an absolute <laughs> dummy, mindless, <laughs> mindlessly listening to the wheels and the bus because... <laughs> because molly asked for it on the way to nursery and i forgot to change it so i was there with on the bus go around and i caught myself on <laughs> i caught myself on what a waste of the best five minutes happened to the steering wheel yes oh, loving it wow. anyway so that's how mindless i am that's why i need to need to spend more time with you and i might uh, sign up for did you say that guy teaches it he does yeah um i think it's dermotwheeling.com a bit of mindfulness. Um, I haven't seen it, uh, but if you when you when you see him looking into your soul, I've heard him talk about it on a few podcasts. Very impressive. So yeah, let's do it. Let's do it in our off season. That can be our our therapy of a Tuesday morning. We'll do it together. Yeah, um, let's get mindful. Okay, Namaste. right. Let's kick yeah. it off. Let's kick it off. Barry, go on. Okay, retiring <laughs> at the premature age of twenty eight, Barry left so many questions unanswered. He was the Gary Ringrose of his generation, and Gary was the O'Driscoll of his generation. 
but O'Driscoll was in your generation. <laughs> He's a mystery. Barry, you're a mystery. And in today's episode, we will unpack the mystery that's mm. Barry Murphy. Yeah. That's great. We will, we will peel back the foreskin of Barry's life and lay bare his best kept secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading a lot of Sally Rooney recently, so... <sighs> Oh, that this could get quite sexual. Did <laughs> <laughs> she talk about foreskin? Yeah, your foreskin specifically. Right. Yeah. Nice. Is that yeah. that's one of her earlier books? It is, yeah. Yeah. It didn't get okay. published. Um yeah. uh, so we're gonna be asking all the big questions today. All the big questions like, you know, what's the best stadium I've ever played at? And and who's the best player you've ever played against? And is it Barry or Baz? <laughs> or are aliens real? Now, now we're talking. Now we're talking. You got serious. He got yeah. serious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's yes, take you they back. are. Let's take you back. We'll touch on that later on. Let's take you okay. back to the early days. I spoke to. We've got a couple of guests today. We've mm-hmm. got Keith Earls and Mick the Granddad, uh, Mick Murphy, Barry's fad, Faja. <laughs> yeah, Faja, and, Faja, and uh, so I thought your dad would be um, good to to speak to about. Um, your upbringing, he would give us, uh, you know, an amazing insight. But he says you didn't really have an upbringing, or he doesn't remember anything about your upbringing. <laughs> so. Yeah, he doesn't remember to before two thousand and three. I'd say when I played my first Ireland under twenty ones game, I'd say like prior to that, it's a bit of a blur. Yeah, so you did Couldn't, have a childhood though. I did, I did. I was born in nineteen eighty two, November twenty eighth, nineteen eighty two, which is actually a mirror image of itself, which is quite interesting. Wow. Um, Two eight one one eight two. Isn't that fascinating? What's that called? Um, numbers. Uh, I know. I know what you mean. There's some. Yeah. There's something magic. I remember our, our team doctor was absolutely fascinated by it. Every time I'd go in to get a something checked up, checked or looked at my foreskin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Would you look at my foreskin again? <laughs> Jesus Christ! And we get a we get sidetracked on my birthday. Uh, every time because he was fascinated by it but anyway Funny, I would have thought I would have thought a doctor especially would have encountered more dramatic stuff in his life and and still he just keeps going back to the, mm. the birthday and that the just stumps every him. time every time like to be and it would be cues out the door of his office you'd be waiting there for three or four hours to get into it um and then when you get in uh you'd realize why it's because he, he'd then spend a half an hour talking to you about the importance of numbers in your life and what this might birth date means whereas in fact it means none <laughs> he's the guy in the meme with like the compasses and protractors and numbers and all mm. <laughs> that guy exactly if we spend as much time as we had on my birth date and then like is this the way it's going to progress we'll get through nothing we'll <laughs> get through nothing okay uh, um uh tell me tell me about mini rugby i want to start there um was it give the ball to barry no, definitely not. <clears throat> um, mini rugby. My dad was a huge rugby man, played for Bowes. Um, my first memories, I'd say, as a child are going, uh, <laughs> going to, I think my first ever earliest memory is uh, being about that height and all the dicks that would be around your face because I'd be in the dressing room of my dad. My dad still played and being in the dressing room. and That, height from, that height from the desk? From no, no, at, at the to the dick, to the dick. So there'd be. Sorry. I've jumped. I've jumped. I've jumped. Being in my dad's dressing room when he played for Bowes as a four-year-old, three, four-year-old, um, in Anacati, 
and all the 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 lads and the fucking I was like wow that's one of my earliest probably most scarred memories um so uh I I remember the smell of deep heat I remember it being like five o'clock on a winter's evening it was dark and I was like I don't know I don't know something obviously that's etched into my memory that I loved it and my dad was so into rugby he would he would uh make it quite dramatic when we'd watch it you know the all blacks the hack all that kind of crack and and then, yeah, I grew up on a on a cool road in Limerick called the Hermitage, which is obviously where the name of the band comes from. And uh, there was myself and my older brother who were two years apart, so we were very close. And then there were four lads moved in right next door to us called the Hartigans, and they were mad into sport. And then another family moved in around the corner called the Garveys, two boys, mad for sport. And we used to just play rugby and football all day, man. So... And it was so much that like the five five of us ended up playing on the same uh, AIL team for Bowes. Three of us ended up playing on the same Munster Twenty Ones team. So we kind of grew uh, grew up together, and and I think mini rugby started when I was about seven. Um, that was out to Bowes, which was across the town. And yeah, I was never I was so skinny and so small that I was never like give the ball to Barry, and I wasn't particularly fast. But <laughs> was it keep the ball away from Barry? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit probably. Um, but I was, I was tough. I think my brother was so big; he was massive. He was a prop, so I used to try and tackle him. So I got, I, I wasn't like you when you were saying last week. You loved the rough and tumble. Mm. It's not that I loved it because I was, I wasn't probably big enough to get stuck in, but I wasn't afraid of it, and. Uh, I think my my underage rugby really developed like we lived behind St Munchens College so right beside it and what my dad used to my dad went to Munchens and we used to go up there and watch senior cup matches and the senior and I used to be so taken away by the the crowds and the you know those lads were superstars so I think by 7 8 years of age watching that I started proper falling in love with rugby and then I think we used to play a lot on the road like uh tip rugby till like 11 12 o'clock at night i remember neighbors coming out like you know going lads will you go to bed like it's 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night and and i think i developed a huge amount of my skills and what you know whatever ability i had was was on that road playing four on four five on five tip and i think appreciation of space and that kind of crack Mm. um so i was hooked between that and soccer i was pretty hooked early doors yeah you had a you had an extremely unique uh, running style and and you were uh, you always had the ball in two hands um an infinite amount of dummies 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 and unusual dummies and like he- a kind of heavy stepping i'm thinking specifically of that the big the big try against seal 2006 we'll not get forward to that yet but mm. i would imagine that that style was kind of developed um and just kind of came on quite a bit then during those days whenever you were just find your feet and find your love for rugby. Then tell me how how then did that kick on? Then you started playing for for Munchins, and uh, was the schools cup was was that a big deal? Uh, like up here, the schools cups everything. I remember crying our eyes out because we didn't we got put out in the first round of schools cup. Was that was that a big deal for you guys? Yeah, huge. Um, so yeah, went to Munchins at twelve, and I like I what I love about about sport. I always did back then was it was just the fun of and the crack of playing it. And I, I think my 
obsession was about creating space. I loved being able to, like, I was so small when I was younger that I, I never could really take a tackle. So that's probably why I developed that sidestep and that it was all about don't let a, someone get a finger on you as opposed to, um, you know, uh, trying to develop that heavy or that style of running. It was just kind of, trying to, oh, don't touch me or I'll be tackled too easily. <laughs> um, so, and then when I went to Munchens, I, it was still good crack. The school's rugby was so serious, man, that it, it used to get me down. Um, really? I was, yeah, I was so bad at school as well. Jesus. Um, just to give you an idea of what kind of young fellow I was, I was uh, awful at school. So my only outlet You mean was academically? Really? Academically, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't focus. I couldn't, I had no interest. It was, <laughs> it was uh, a squirrel like staring out the window, just what you were saying around about your, your, your uh, mindset or whatever. I would be just so distracted. I loved it. I absolutely had the best crack in school and I wasn't, too much of a mess or anything like that I was just had zero interest academically so my main outlet was sport all I wanted to do was get out the door at the end of three o'clock and kick a ball and um but then like junior cup got quite serious uh but not overly serious we won the junior cup and that was huge Munchens hadn't won I think Axel Foley was the last person to lift the the cup for Munchens and he he, I remember he came in and made a presentation to us afterwards and uh uh that was class and I I uh so that was when it got serious but I knew that I fuck I was good at something anyway um and you could see the connection between that and professional rugby at that point then went on to play senior cup as you said it's the same in Limerick it was like all that mattered in the world was winning the senior cup which is absolutely ridiculous because we were beaten in the first round by a, a good Crescent Comp team um, we had all by all means the dream team like we four or five Irish school boys oh really um, yeah. and I was I never did transition year so I was quite young going into senior senior cup I would have had another year if I let if I stayed on in school but I was so done with school academically. I hated the leaving cert and all that. So I just wanted to get out of it. And I actually ended up resenting rugby massively by, by 18 because it had gone from that game that I loved to play to just this, I don't know, um, massive disappointment and pressure. And uh, it, it was, it just moved from something that was all about me and my mates. Like when we were growing up, we didn't have essentially have coaches. It was lads, parents that would come down and, Mm. and help out. And we ran the team. But when you got to senior cup, it was coaches coming in, being so strict and telling you what to do. And I know that's important and stuff, but I struggled massively with that as a, as a teenager. So um, when I left school at 18, I, I was done with rugby, man. I was like, nah, no interest in, in, pursuing this i'd never played schools or anything like that so it was a uh, quite a yin and yang love hate relationship i had with it back then yeah so uh munchens then would that have been the equivalent of of one of the big belfast like would it have been one of the um one of the big names because we avoided that and we always thought like the, the likes of belfast dins or some of the big the big belfast schools they a lot of their players experienced exactly that they got sickened of it in school and uh, and they were just drilled really really hard and it it lost fun. it wasn't as much fun for them whereas we were lucky we were a country school we weren't that good we had, actually had a good group of players coming through but we avoided that because because we weren't we weren't that good yeah. 
And as a result, yeah. it, it kind of it, it, it helped us out uh, later on. You know, a few guys went on to play for the club and, and just continue to enjoy rugby. So is that just because it was too intense? It probably was, but then you're you're 17, so you've got so much more going on in your life. You've got the fecking hormones, you've got girls, you've drink coming in. You've And then I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I love music. I was, uh, you know, the idea of going off to college. And, and I think, like, as I said, the, the strict uh, structure of school and not having, you know, lacking so much confidence in school that that I just wanted to get away from it and I wanted freedom to do whatever I wanted. So I I I love rugby as an outlet and it kind of became a little bit too structured as well. Um so it definitely was. But then I was a disaster as well. So I'm not pointing any fingers like I was <laughs> all over the shop. Like uh so um I I think I've I've I, that, and I've had that struggle throughout my career as well, and that I I I would have gone into Munster first and gone Jesus, what's this? I've no interest in this kind of crack, and it's that eternal internal struggle you have with yourself to kind of, um, you know, appreciate the challenge that's in front of you and know that you're going to be better. Which I don't know if you ever have that in the moment, but I can look back now and know that, you know, the game was always giving me. A huge uh, outlet, whether it was, you know, too strict at times or what. Um, it's hard to know, but I think as a kid, I I always had like, and I still do. I've I've uh, I dream massively. I'm a daydreamer, so all I wanted to do when I was a young fellow was play rugby. Like, and I would sit there and just dream about playing, and I would create scenarios in my head about me playing big games, and I would. Literally, I I feel like I've I've dreamt certain tries I've scored, and the same thing came from came from music. I would dream about playing <clears throat> on big stages as a kid, and I would dream about you know uh, writing certain songs, and and I've I've always that's been really powerful for me growing up. All that it's always like being able to manifest my dreams, as corny as that might sound, but I didn't I didn't have any anything else really. That was all. It was like. Um, I, as I said, didn't feel like I would do anything academically. Um, I could apply myself to working in a in an environment where if you sent me out into a field and told me to dig a hole till you get fifty feet deep, I'd just go out and do it because um, it was uh, it was something easy I could, I could apply myself to. So when it came to to sport, it was the same thing. It was like, oh, I can just I can do this. So I just need to go out and do it. And so uh, uh, yeah, I've always had that dream-like affiliation with it where it's like yes it's all magic and dream and then when when it gets hard you're like uh fuck this yeah yeah it was it was was a dreamy kind of stage of monster rugby though it was easy to to be swept away i would or maybe was this before kind of before um they won um the first european um cup 2006 is that right yeah but it had started like there was in by by when i was in school like there was it was They'd already gotten to a Heineken Cup final during my last year in school. Um, and that romantic side of it had definitely started. There was a buzz there. And yeah. by the time I was, I, when I left school, I went back and played with my club for a year under 18s. It was just me and my mates come back playing. And I, I grew massively in that year. I, was, I went working. I went to college for a few months, but dropped out. Went working in a, in a restaurant and then went working in a plant and tool hire company, which was gas cracks just down the road here, just driving trucks and vans and stuff and working with old lads. 
and I loved that nine to five um, and then going out training in the evenings and I got a real love for rugby back and I I kind of I think got a good idea of how good I was again got a good grip on geez I'm actually decent at this I grew physically as well at that time and then got into the Bowes Academy at 19 I was like great I'm, I'm, that was UL Bowes so it was kind of an up and coming big academy a big feeder team for for Munster at that point um, and then I back still then, back then Barry, there was no there was no Munster there was no provincial academies as there is now yeah. because then the first time I met you was um, the Ireland Academy in mm. um, in Clongos is that right? yeah it was wasn't it so yeah yeah, I would have. <clears throat> it's a funny story. Like I was what in twenty, and I went to on a J one to to America for three months, and I was about seventy two kgs. No interest in being a professional rugby player. When you think of like young fellas now that are in the academy and stuff, it's polar opposite. Yeah. But uh, I, went to, I hadn't touched rugby ball in two months, and there was Munster Twenty Ones trials, and my dad was like, "Come home from America." I was in Boston. He was like, "Will you come home?" And I was like, "No, I'm not coming home." And it's one of these sliding doors moments that you that you've talked about before, and you know these little decisions that you make in life that end up taking you down another path. And my uncle had to get on to me in America and be like, "You need to come home um, from your J one. Your father will never talk to you again if you don't at least give this a go." So I came home and played a Monster Twenty Ones trial out in Gary Owen, and I was on the bench. But Ian Dowling who I'd never heard of before was on the bench with me. And the two of us went on at half time. And I remember thinking he was a bit mental, uh, which he, which he is. <laughs> uh, and he was, he, he'd like absolute freak strength and he was 12 and I was 13 and he was just, no one could tackle him and he would just offload the ball to me. And I, I was running in tries and had a, had a great time. And I was like, Jesus, this is cool. Mm-hmm. And there was a little bit more freedom to it. And I got picked on the monster 21s and was so like I went from July never playing rugby again to the following, you know, Six Nations playing for Ireland twenty ones, um, and then got my first monster cap. So within ten months I'd gone from from that to monster cap. So it was pretty insane. And then uh yeah, got the Irish Academy and again that was all pretty daunting. I think the monster thing was less daunting because back then I was got a call on a Wednesday to come down training on a Thursday and then I'd never trained with them before. Trying took to learn a drink, the moves. Took, her, took her for a drink on Thursday. <laughs> sure. <laughs> took a day off on Friday, and then by Saturday. Uh, yeah, so it was back then. It was I don't know. It was a bit more romantic. There was no I don't know. It was very relaxed, and I I loved that side of it. And then got into the Irish Academy. I found that daunting as well, man. I found that that was a horrible. That was a horrible week in Clongoose. Miserable. <sighs> Training yeah. was so tough, and uh, and uh, Mark McDermott, um, he he wasn't a he wasn't a big fan of mine, <laughs> to be fair. And uh, and I was so I was so shy and so so nervous. I, I don't know if you experienced that at all, but it was a daunting oh, environment. And then it was, it was just summed up with him on like the final morning fitness testing at six o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, and he went around banging the doors, and it was just mentally like. Like just yeah. exhausting. It was terrible. I think I we were sponsored by Powerade, and there was uh, there was all bottles of yellow Powerade around the place. And Jody Danaher had gone around and squirted all the yellow Powerade into people's sinks, uh, making it look like uh, he had pissed in everyone's sinks. And 
Mark McDermott saw it and assumed that because the toilets, I think, were down the hall. And he was like, don't use your sinks to piss in or something like that. I think that's why he got us up at six o'clock in the morning because he thought Jody oh, really? Denner had, had pissed in the sinks. Um, <laughs> I remember chatting yeah. to you. I think it might be one of my first conversations with you. You weren't doing conditioning because you were off your feet because you were too you were too light. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think then you'd said, you know, I, I usually stay pretty fit, so it doesn't. It, I'm not going to lose anything. But if I, if I can't keep weight on, then you know that's going to hurt me more. And and I just imagine you like. Do you remember the episode of The Simpsons where Homer um, tries to put on, put on enough weight that he can work from home? <laughs> He's like, "We're losing precious calories." It's <laughs> <laughs> the moo moo in my fat man hat. <laughs> yeah, oh, I do. I remember that. And you know, we were we tried to get Phil Morrow on the show with you last week, and I was disappointed we didn't. He he got called away to uh, to train with Saracens in the afternoon. But Phil was was their strength and conditioning coach back then, and he was the one that put me under. Uh, lockdown basically and used to just sit beside me and force feed me but I think he was so good at getting like making you feel normal and making you I don't know he really put me at ease and and mentored me through that phase because a lot of the time when you go to those things and and coaches are are telling you you're too small or too skinny it's like you're fucking 19 years of age you don't know what to do with that like like, Mm. what um so I, I really respected Phil for, for a lot of what, how he managed me through that period. And, um, and I learned, like, again, I, I hated it, but man, I learned so much, I think in those, in those environments, um, uh, you know, it was, it was tough and it was so competitive because you really had only five, six players from each province, wasn't it? So, you know, mm-hmm. it was really, really competitive and, they were hard and yeah skills were hard fitness was hard um so yeah that was that was kind of my first introduction to it and i've done i did this writing course a few years ago and it takes you back into writing about your childhood and those kind of moments that change your life and it was really interesting diving into that time and, and looking back on it where and i've got journals from that time as well that i've that i've i've looked at and uh you can see the progression of of like how the, my lack of confidence as a 19, 20 year old. And then three months on, I've got like my, my schedule written out for the day, what I'm going to eat and just the program and, and very streamlined and, and my attitude changing over a few months on the journal and just really loving, uh, the routine and, and, um, yeah. And the environment. And I think when I first got into Munster, that was so, daunting but incredible to be surrounded with the talent that was there and uh i was just i mean but thinking back how lucky i was to to have made that step was unbelievable you know yeah so let's let's talk about that transition transition then so uh, as we were saying like it was it was a daunting environment going to colongos uh for you know the, the irish academy but it must have been even more daunting for you straight after that then going into the monster environment with o'connell o'gara um, Axel Foley, Stringer, all the big names. Um, how did you mm. how did you find that? I found that uh, pretty tough when I first got signed um, as a development contract out of the academy, and Alan Gaffney was coaching. And like I said, with Phil, I I really you know I really needed a coach that would put their arm around me and and kind of. I don't know, look after me a little bit more. Gaffer wasn't essentially that. I got on really well with him, but he wasn't that kind of guy. 
uh, he, he told me just... he told me to piss off one time uh, <laughs> uh, on the pitch. I think I did something um, that wasn't what he asked, and he just goes piss off, Trims. <laughs> and, yeah. and then I went like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> Literally, <laughs> yeah. And then he was like, "Piss off, Trims," and I just did like a lap of the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> went away, yeah, away so from Dexton loves yeah. that story anytime uh, I do anything annoying Johnny just goes piss off train <laughs> <laughs> and it's great to look back and, and laugh at that stuff and I and I do and I and as I said I get on great with Gaffer now if I go to Australia I try and meet up with him now with the band um, but as a 20 year old 21 year old it was in front of these superstars if I drop a ball he would literally abuse me. And it was, I, I hated it again. I was like, oh, I'm signed for 12 months. But I was like, oh, I'm never, I'm not doing this. And I got injured. And I remember getting injured in the early, like maybe October, got a groin injury. I knew I'd be out for about eight or nine months. It was that dreaded osteitis pubis that we talked about a while back with um, Tyg Byrne. And I remember going surfing, right, on a, on a, on a Tuesday. And we had a meeting at uh, two o'clock and I went surfing on the Tuesday morning with John O'Connor and I came back and we were late and I missed the meeting. I just sat in my car and then they came out and I just slipped in uh, unbeknownst to everyone and I realized that no one even noticed I was gone. So (laughs) I I would do that all the time. I just not show up to meetings and no one had a clue whether I was just down surfing in West Clare for for a good chunk of, of the eight months that I was out. Uh, and brilliant it was, though being anonymous I missed the squad photo my first year when I was in development contract <laughs> missed the photo and no one even noticed <laughs> I noticed it's great yeah it's a, it's a terrible thing and a great thing at the same time because I was like what's the point of me being here no one knows I'm here um, mm. but obviously um, I was probably missing out on something but I, I loved just having that time to myself and uh, and it, it was better for me than sitting in a fucking meeting and and then when I when I eventually got back to playing, Gaffer was gone and Declan Kidney came in. And, you know, I think coaching is really funny because it you get certain coaches that would be really good for you at certain times in your career. And Declan Kidney could not have been a, a better person for me. It was um he was so relaxed and made me feel that I could be myself. His first day was like do you remember the way you just pass the ball at Munchens? That's all I want you to do. Pass the ball mm. like you did in Munchens and just go out and enjoy yourself. If I feel like I need to have a word with you, I'll pull you aside and I'll say it to you, but just go out. And I immediately felt relaxed. And, and as you said, with the players, um, that was the first year. That was 2005, 2006. That was the first year I properly... I'd played a few times in the previous two years. was the first time I properly felt a part of the squad. And uh, it was like it was... It was like O'Connell was young back then, so he would have been only be 23, 24. So he was driving standards and, and driving. He was the engine, but I, I, don't, I don't think he was that uh, authority that he became. So um, I, could, I, I was pretty relaxed around him. Raj was the, the kingpin, as he always describes himself. Uh, he was <laughs> like he was. And he was so integral because he challenged the coaches so much. You know, when Gaffer was there, like there was, you remember Gaffer used to walk around the, the pitch with his phone on, on his phone, <clears throat> just like chatting to people. And Raj would pull him on that, like, you can't be chatting on your phone. And, and 
with kidney, would challenge kidney all the time. It was a real, he was a thorn in their side and he just wanted to win, win, win. And it was uh, playing Candy Crush, playing Candy Crush, was he? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Is that what he was doing on the phone? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. always. Yeah. So I I was a bit kind of overwhelmed by Raj, definitely back then. Um, So you never knew where you stood with him. It was. Uh, you never do with Raj, do you? You never know where you stand with him. It's uh, he's 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 the alpha male all the time. So, um, but he was that he was the real fucking brains of that team. Axel on the other side was I. I really I think I I I I took a warm to Axel straight away. I kind of felt like he respected me and loved me no matter what. It was a weird thing that I developed with him early on. It was just a little connection that we got and took me under his wing a little bit and without really having to say or do much. Um, and I just felt really belong. I belonged in that monster team, do you know? And I think that's um, that's what Kidney created and that's what Axel created. Um, and it was just such a special few years. That's powerful. That that's really powerful. And so, whatever about whatever Axel contributed and Decky contributed, um, you obviously contributed a fair bit yourself as well. So everybody, everybody knows the the try against Seal. Um, kind of, kind of some of the the early tries the one against Cardiff. Um, Cast Earlsy was th- he'll probably chat later on about Cast. You're tearing Cast apart. Um, but I I went I went through uh, highlights um uh, a few clips the other night and. Limited, I'd say. <laughs> it was quick. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but the like the soundtrack was Hermitage Green as well. I know. That's and my perfect. most hated, my most hated Hermitage Green song as well. Oh, I no. put that together. <laughs> well, um, I so I was sitting um, watching that in the kitchen, and Anna looks over and she goes, "What a tune!" <laughs> <laughs> It's like that is brilliant. Like <laughs> you can write the soundtrack to your highlights reel. No one else gets to do that. That's um, true. That's so, true. And that sorry, harsh being my most hated song. It's it's a cool song. It's just that that one that everyone's like, ah, do that oh, one. Yeah. It's like it's like smells like Teen Spirit, is it? <laughs> it's not quite like smells like Teen Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> <To be honest. laughs> Let's stop com- the comparison right there. But so, yeah, well, I get I get you. That's pretty cool. Uh it's a pretty cool thing. So we'll get into anyway. So you kind of found your feet, and then obviously that 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 try against Seal kind of um, put you on the map a little bit, and then probably contributed to you feeling like you were really part of that team. So we'll get into that. Uh, we'll probably get into that a little bit with Earlsy. But up next, we've got your dad. Your dad is mm. going to come on and share some stories about um, uh, about his 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 take on on your career with with Munster and uh and, and Ireland and then obviously he's nothing to say about your upbringing so he might he'd be not to do he'd nothing to do with it anyway it was all my mother so <laughs> yeah <off>. yeah <laughs> uh, so anyway next up we've got uh Mick the granddad and that's okay that's David Wallace who takes it on the ball out to Barry Murphy he's the quick man he's the very quick man he slices through it's a try for Munster and that is the advantage of pace. It's something Munster have lacked behind the scrummage in recent seasons. But Murray, Barry Murphy, my goodness, he makes a difference there. Okay, we've got Mick the granddad um, sat there like the president looking 
spotty dog. I'd say it's the first time you got dressed up in the last few months, Mick, is it? Yes, I, I've never been up this early uh, during, the, <laughs> during the lockdown. But anyway, uh, thanks for the invite, lads. Um, uh, you've done a great job in your podcast. I, I don't know how you could speak for four months without a, a rugby ball being kicked, but fair juice yeah. The, the, the length of the shows have increased since. They have, yeah. Trimby, <laughs> Trimby, every Tuesday when we do the show, as you know, Orla takes the children and leaves the house so I can do this in peace and quiet. But she brings them to Mick's house so his, the kids are actually in his house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, there's, and as usual, they're, they're the best babies I've ever seen. Uh, in the kitchen, not a sound, just behaving themselves. Just like you did, Barry, when you were a baby. Yeah. Ah, you don't remember that. We clarified <laughs> this already, Mick. You don't remember my childhood. No, you were so good. You were so good. I, I, Trimby asked me for a few stories, and I'd have to make them up. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, you, did, I you ta- did get blamed a lot for what your older brother did, uh, uh, as we found out in years later that you didn't do half the things that you were you were blamed for. Uh, Brian did them all, but he managed to get them uh, <clears throat> shoved on to you. So, yeah, it's the trick of an older brother, isn't it? I would yeah, have done the same yeah. to the younger fella. <laughs> Mick, you're um, you're sat um, strategically displaying potentially. Am I right in saying is that the try Barry scored against the All Blacks, or is that another try? Yeah, behind me, uh, it's it's uh, a, a painting that. Uh, a well-known Limerick artist doing a heat and painted for me. Um, well, she she presented it to me uh, because it was such a massive occasion. Uh, a Barry scoring a try against the All Blacks in when was it Barry? Seventy two thousand and eight was it? <laughs> 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 The worst, the worst thing about that painting, Trim, is he used to have it the opposite side of the door and he used to have a picture of the painting beside the door, beside the painting. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he used to have it facing the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so Mick, is that one of your, is that one of your proudest, uh, proudest moments of, of your son there? Yeah, it, it is because uh, we got back a long time with the Kiwis. Uh, I mean, it was a massive occasion here in 78 when the All Blacks were beaten. Uh, by Munster but uh, in 76 I went on a tour to New Zealand I was only 21 and uh, a did, guy they, did re- the All Blacks beat Munster she said don't remember Munster beat the All Blacks so, uh, oh yeah yeah I caught so, that up sorry <laughs> so the All Blacks beat beat Munster uh, like the All Blacks drew with Munster in Cork in 73 3 all they were uh, <clears throat> I think in, this is my lifetime, right? In the in the late sixties, they beat Munster down in Musgrave Park again, four three, and then in seventy eight they came. I mean, they they played Munster I think three times in ten years, and <clears throat> but in seventy six we went on a tour. It was a supporters tour, mm-hmm. and it was the first time Ireland had ever toured New Zealand, so it was a massive occasion, and. Uh, we flew out to uh, New Zealand, 21 uh, Irish young lads from all over the country. They were from Dublin, Cork, Limerick, and uh, it was a trip for a lifetime. And uh, so, as you know, the Kiwis, uh, when they get to know you, uh, they never forget you. They never forget your phone number, your address. <laughs> so for years, we had Kiwis coming to our house 
when the kids were small, uh, they were thrown out of the beds for a lot of Kiwis. And of course, they had to listen to me about Monster beating the All Blacks in 78. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a massive uh, occasion in Limerick uh, and in Munster, that, that match. Of course, there was, say, 15,000 people at the match. But if you talk to everybody in Munster, they were all at the match. So there was 100,000 people, you know. But uh, then, of course, when 30 years later, uh, Munster were celebrating the opening of Toman Park and the All Blacks were playing Munster and Barry got picked. And, uh, and after one minute, Barry got concussed in the match. And I said, oh, no, with Barry and all his injuries over the years, this was another one. And I said, put my hands in my head and I said, oh, Lord, he's going to have to come off. And But he stayed on, the lads brought him back. He was very badly concussed. And he'll tell you himself, he doesn't remember scoring the try. He doesn't remember the match. But it was a massive moment. When he scored the try, uh, my phone started hopping from, from New Zealand because everyone in New Zealand that I knew were watching it. And they said, oh, we've been listening to you for 30 years about Munster beating the All Blacks. Now we have to listen to your, your son has scored a try against the All Blacks. So, but you know, he holds the unique distinction that the All Blacks had only one try scored against them in that tour. And Barry was the one to score it. Although Stringer made the try and then the <laughs> pokey the planned the tactics, but Barry had to catch the ball and go over the line. I, and I'm sure that was, he was damn nervous when that ball was passed to him, uh, you know. But uh, anyway. Imagine I dropped it. Imagine I dropped that ball. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Biden doors to me. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. so so you you really should have a picture of of Stringer and Tapuki then up behind you as well. <laughs> yeah, uh. <laughs> Tapuki was if, if he had stayed on the field that day that night, I think we could have beaten him. I mean, uh, and if I think Leamy was a big loss when he came off in that game, uh, but you know, uh, Stringer, yeah, Stringer. I mean, he took some hit to release that ball. But uh, anyway, there were incredible memories. Uh, and then, you know, just to, uh, at the end of it, uh, when we went into the into Tolman Park, into the hospitality, Barry came in and I had told him before the match if he could swap the jersey and get me an All Blacks jersey, I could die happy. Because I had so many Kiwi friends. I said, oh God, if I could get my hands. So Barry came in with his monster jersey all rolled up in a ball. In his hand and I went over to him and I knew he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't looking great because of the bang he got. And I said, What's what are you doing with the jersey? He said the bastards wouldn't swap with me. <laughs> and I said, What did they say? And they said, You realize how hard I had to work for this jersey. And and I said to them, And what did you say? He said, Well, I told him the same thing. I had to work damn hard for this one, but you have to swap. And uh, but, you know, when I look back on the on the match, if you see all the All Blacks coming out in the second half, they were all pulling their jerseys down. They'd put on the second jersey to make it, make it authentic, if you know mm. what I mean. They, yeah, uh-huh. had, they had a second jersey to swap, but they they wore it to make it, make it authentic. And when he went in to swap the jersey, they wouldn't swap it. They had two. So I just I took a poor view of that, really. You know, I just felt that they didn't show the respect. Monster, monster deserved. Um, so I, 
I think Trimby, do you know the way we're we're planning our trip to New Zealand to Austra- to South Africa next year for the Lions? All of them. All of them. <laughs> all of them, right? <laughs> we should we should plan our next trip to New Zealand and it'll be like the the bring back the jersey trip. So we go down there and we get <laughs> my jersey. Yeah, I, I think that. it was Jose Jose Gear I was marking, but I'd prefer Rocket Coco's jersey if that was our yeah. age. So yeah. let's go find Rocket Coco and see if he has yeah. still has that jersey. Yeah. I got Rocket Coco's jersey. Have you? Will you give Will you give me yours? <laughs> I give it away. I give it to I I give it to a mate of mine. Um, oh, Jesus, who's a mate? just he loves his rugby. He would love it. He's like the part. He's the part in my life. <laughs> just loves loves his rugby so he really burst into tears whenever I got him the Rocket Coco jersey yeah, um, yeah but Mick listen so I'm sure uh, that's 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 a lovely story I'm sure it's um, a very very proud special moment for you watching watching Barry score that try uh, with all the history and the connections with New Zealand um, but listen we've got a couple of things we need to settle you need to put a couple of things straight is that right yeah, that's one. Of, that's one of the reasons I'm on here today because uh, my parenting has been called into question. <laughs> go on, go what on, get it off your chest. Mean? Correct, um, well, correct well, the wrongs. Well, the sex tapes. <laughs> tapes. Yeah, <laughs> tapes, tapes. Sorry. For the, for those who haven't mightn't have seen the podcast, uh, uh, there was a there was a. a a video uh, confiscated from 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 Brian, and the it was uh, the older brother, and uh, it was uh, Terry gave it to me, and she said, "Look what I found under their mattress, under Brian's mattress, or whatever." You see, so it was it was a a blue movie. domination domination yeah. by yeah. Chasey Lane. <laughs> I only looked at it once; it was harmless, really. You know. That was- <laughs> But anyway, I was accused of uh, taking it. I, if it <clears throat> my wife put it into Terry. She put it into my sock drawer. So I asked Brian yesterday, my eldest son, I said, tell me the story about the, the videotape because I've been accused of taking it out occasionally and watching it. And uh, he said that our next door neighbors, uh, I won't mention him, you know him well, Bright, child, went to America and his holidays and brought this back. I've already mentioned them earlier <laughs> on. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. but I got a hold of the tape and he was caught. And Terry put it into my sock drawer. And I don't remember anything after that, but seemingly it was sitting in my sock drawer. And every time you were robbing my socks, Brian said, we went in and we took the tape out and we put it in. And I was watching it on the QT. And then you go in and rob a pair of socks, you'd take it out and you'd watch it. And then every time you watch it, it was the tape was out on a different uh, scene. Yeah. So ye all thought I was the storyline was the storyline <laughs> was messed up. Storyline <laughs> was I thought yeah I thought so it was, was you accused, and Terry. Yeah, I was accused. Yeah, you be Terry. No, just wanted to put that straight. Okay, no. Okay. Then the next one, I was called a chancer a couple of weeks ago uh, on one of your podcasts for the people that didn't hear the story. Uh, you know, I, I I always consider myself a bit of an entrepreneur, not a chancer. You know, I prefer <laughs> if you would have said, I just want to put that straight. That was about the time about we were selling the T-shirts inside in the shop. 
Mm-hmm. Counterfeit I, monster gear. Yeah, I was in. I, <laughs> I was in uh, in the retail. So we had a ladies' fashion store in Limerick for a number of years, and uh, <clears throat> just when the monster thing took off, um, there was no paraphernalia. There was no t-shirts and no scarves, and people were going to Toma Park and they were going away on these matches with all their monster jerseys that they bought years ago and those fellas digging up red t-shirts and red jackets and whatever so there's nobody had monster hadn't got any uh paraphernalia to sell so and if they had the monster jersey was about 50 euro or 60 euro it was too expensive so um this guy a guy from dublin uh dave noble who would have been known as uh max scrum uh he was an incredible monster supporter but the the leinster's supporters didn't appreciate it but he just fell in love with the monster bandwagon and whatever so he came to Limerick one day and I knew him through rugby and he <clears throat> he was selling the merchandise if you remember he was selling it on the street cup mm. days he was out in Thoman Park he went to Bordeaux he went to Toulouse he went he went all over the Europe with monster selling his Max Scrum logo on t-shirts hats scarves and whatever but he was he was just great crack great a great friend to the monster supporters. So he came in to me one day and he said, Mickey said, would you mind if I put my stuff out in your window? I said, okay, Dave, sure. No problem. And it was the weekend of a Heineken cup match. And we saw loads of his stuff. So <clears throat> I decided then to get t-shirts and uh, put my own logo on them. And of course the monster logo at the time wasn't patent. So we could use the three crowns. We could use it. So <clears throat> we started selling t-shirts. Then we started, got hats printed and we got scarves and it was kind of quite time in the shop coming into the summer and whatever and it was all kind of cup quarterfinals semi-finals and finals so they used pay for our trips and uh, I used to bring you and Brian and Daniel to I remember bringing you to Bordeaux for the Toulouse match and God I mean you, you remember that and I mean I remember holidays oh, yeah. but this this was just incredible match the lads uh, Munster were incredible that day and coming home on the plane and you remember the plane I called a drink on the plane and oh my god it was bad <laughs> it was... You, kept, you, you kept getting your drink confiscated on the plane because you were yeah, drinking yeah, ca- yeah. cans we might, that you hadn't we bought allowed on the bring plane. drink on the plane of course when we went on the, when we went into the ground that day it was uh, all non-alcoholic beer of course we didn't know and when we got into the ground we couldn't get out so we had to mm. spend the day drinking non-alcoholic beer in disgraceful it was 30 degrees like it was incredibly mm. hot but anyway, we went to the Munster, we went to the <coughs> final in, in Northampton, in Northampton one in, in Twickenham. And <clears throat> my t-shirts and all the sales, they contributed towards the the cost of our flights and whatever, you know. So it was it was it was a bit it was all a bit of fun. But uh, so they were my entrepreneurial skills. You're know? a bootlegger. You're a bootlegger, Mick. Do you ever hear a mattress make Trimby? Oh yeah. He's a he's a guy in Dublin who sells mattresses, and his name is Mattress Make. And I just I just picture Make as being Monster Make, just selling his <laughs> his Monster jerseys with his face on the front of them. Um, yeah, 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 great stuff. So the <clears throat> the trips away were they legitimate uh, business expenses? Then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. They <laughs> <laughs> gone too far. Okay. I, <laughs> Uh, 
Yeah, well, it, it, the, 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 the expenses didn't go through the company. If, if okay, it's okay. Oops. It's all right. It's, <laughs> it's, just rest, it's just resting in my account. What <laughs> that? What about then? So um, then the next next step for Barry then career-wise was then he, he went on the, the tour that I was on to Argentina in 2007 and you joined him on that. Is that right? Yeah, did that, yeah, did that come did. out of the same, same fund? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually... Uh, <laughs> We just closed. Actually, I think we closed our business uh, that year. Uh, we retired. Terry and I retired. So because because Barry was your golden goose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> ching ching. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was what a uh, failure. Yeah. What? No, no. We we went to um, yeah we went to Argentina that year, and uh, I think your parents were on that on that trip. weren't they? They were on so that. So I believe. Trip. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe. <laughs> so uh, told. Yeah, we that was a great trip. Um, Barry got his first cap. Uh, I remember uh, Eddie O'Sullivan um, was the coach, and uh, Barry was warming up on the pitch for about twenty minutes, and it was coming to the final whistle. And I was, oh please, oh please, get him on, get him on. And uh, I think you were winning the match then, Barry. Way. Right? Yeah, we were winning. Come <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <Mick>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, you were. You remember uh, we were because Contepomi got a drop goal to win yeah. it. Felipe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, right? you were you were that much from the blocking it down. I know, yeah, mm. I know, Mick. I know. Yeah, I didn't. Jesus. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was um, that was that was a great tour. Um, we had we had uh, we had we had a good we great crack with the with the, the a lot of the parents were there, um, and a lot of supporters and. It was great to see, you know, great to see the country. And uh, so you got two caps there. Then you got picked then for the second test. And um, uh, that was in Buenos Aires. That was, that was, uh, that was fantastic. Uh, quite noisy, wasn't it, Barry? Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, very. yeah, that was a uh, crucible, wasn't it, Trimby? I yeah. remember the, the crowd just hanging off cages, spitting yeah. at us. Yeah. When we were coming out. Spitting through the cages. Yeah. Spitting yeah. through the cages. We were yeah. coming out in the, out of the tunnel. Um, I remember going, yeah. I really should be angry at this, but I was like, this is class. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, they, they had they had the riot police. They had about 5,000 riot police there. Like, there was only yeah. about, I'd say, 30,000 <laughs> at the match, but Jesus, I mean, when we arrived at the stadium, we were saying, God almighty, who's going to be fighting now? Because we were, there was only about 30 of us. And yeah. uh, so, uh, yeah, and they were all, you know, after the match, the riot police, you could see they were disappointed like that there wasn't a riot or <laughs> whatever, you know. Yeah, but, uh, yeah um, great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. Mike, so so um so a couple of couple of very proud moments there. And then you're obviously um you stayed very close to to Barry and uh, Dan, the rest of the guys in the band, then you you had a role there, a crucial role. I thought naively I thought I I asked Mick if you know if you're a background in sound engineer, I, I thought he was <laughs> I thought he was more involved, and then humbly Mick um, told me he was the he was the he was the bus driver. You were like um, like Ray Donovan, just the problem problem solver, were you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah Mick, is the, Mick is the bus driver. He's the merchandise seller. He's the roadie. He uh, gets us out of bed, um, unloads and loads the van, and all the above. But yeah, he's an integral part of the Hermitage Green team. Uh, most importantly, yeah. getting us out of bed. I think. Yeah, they they. <clears throat> I'm now called merchandise Mick. Um, 
more more counterfeit hermitage green gear now these days than, <laughs> yeah, than the monster yeah. stuff. Counterfeit mech, yeah. I think it is. <laughs> they promised they'd pay me this year, or <laughs> now the pandemic yeah, is yeah, in, so yeah. I had to wait. <laughs> so I, I'm ten years waiting to get paid, so um, I just can't. You know, I have it all. I have a I have an account of it all anyway. How much they owe me, but uh, when they get that big hit, they're going to get a bill. <laughs> so yeah. They, yeah. So when they when I uh, when I reached the ripe old age of sixty, uh, the lads were starting to tour, and they asked me to go to New York with them, and uh, that was my first tour, and it was um, talk about flying by the seat of your pants. Uh, it was um, uh, it was a great experience. Uh, it was a great way to see New York. I mean, I had been there before, but you just kind of went to the touristy spots. But when you go to the music where the music goes on in New York, that one on the Bowery Street. And where you hear all the stories where um, Bruce Springsteen jammed and uh, Jimi Hendrix. And like, there's just venues down there that are there's hundreds of them. And when all the big music stars come into New York for a weekend or a night, or whatever, they, they go down to these places and just jam with maybe 50 or 100 people in these venues. So it was, it was, uh, it was incredible. And, uh, uh, do, do you remember we went up to the, the, of course where we stayed uh, Barry rang me he said dad we're going to New York would you like to come love to uh, would you know somewhere where we could get a reasonable place to stay in so I said okay he with me I rang a friend of mine he got me a hotel he rang me he said make I have a hotel $38 a night but three in a room do you mind so there was only six of us going <clears throat> we didn't bring any sound engineers or anything with us we got them all over there and uh, so it was six of us. So three in a room. So I rang Barry and said, Barry, what do you think? He said, no, 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 that's too dear. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Barry, where are you going to get something like in New York, down the Bowery? This is right in the, where the venues are and whatever. He says, I will find somewhere. So he rings me back. He said, I got somewhere. You have your own room and everything. Chief, my own room. How did you get that cheaper? You know, and he says, oh, look. We found it on internet or whatever you see. So we arrive in Illinois, into New York, and uh, <clears throat> we get picked up, bought to the Bowery Street, and we arrive, and there's the paparazzi are outside where we were staying. And I said, Jesus, lads, the paparazzi are here. God, this is fantastic. Uh, I don't think it's for us, Dad. And I said, Well, what are they doing here? I said, I'd say it's that hotel across the road. So there was this five star hotel. The Bowery Hotel, I think was the name of it. And uh, all the film stars, all the big stars that come to New York stay there. So these paparazzi are there 24-7 outside, but they're across the road. Long lenses, the whole lot. So we get out and so where are we staying? Oh, sorry, lads, I left this out. So anyway. Um, unprofessional. Yeah, unprofessional. <laughs> so make a long story short, anyway, it was, <clears throat> I looked up and it was, it was, uh, hostel and uh didn't even have it didn't even have a sign above the door trimby it no, was that bad no. oh, the, chinese, a, the chinese the yeah. chinese took it over but it was it was uh <laughs> it was a homeless shelter back in the day the 60s and the 70s and the chinese bought it and turned it into a hostel but all they did was just give it a lick of paint so there was three floors <laughs> there was 300 beds bedrooms in the hostel and they were all single and uh, lucky enough, it was in the month of May, so it wasn't that full because 
there was one one toilet and shower I need at the end of each corridor of the three corridors. So there was one shower there for at least a hundred people. So <laughs> and you went to bed late and you got up early. That's that was the way I, I worked it. I went to bed at about four o'clock in the morning and I got up at seven. <laughs> so I wouldn't have to sleep in there for too long. Yeah. But anyway, we all got we all got bed bugs and shit. It was ridiculous. Oh, you uh, did, I didn't. I didn't. Traveled in traveling style, Mick. Don't. don't but that's anyway, the way we, do it. we went up to where did we go after that? Then we went up to <laughs> into the uh, Catskills in New York. Catskills, yeah, and yeah. that was that was the that's called uh, the thirty third county of Ireland, and it's mm-hmm. where all the Irish went over in the sixties and seventies, and they were still the same. They were still <laughs> dressed in the same jumpers that they went over in, and we played <laughs> in the festival there. It was it was mind boggling. Very very glamorous music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, nothing says rock and roll like bed bugs. Well, bed bugs. Uh, people from Ireland yeah. in the seventies still wearing the same clothes thirty years yeah. later. I've been around yeah. with them. Uh, I've been all over Ireland and uh, all over England, Wales. Uh, I've been uh, where else did I go, Barry? I went to Singapore, uh, Dubai. Um, so it's it's been. Uh, they, they, you haven't been a good ad for the rock and roll business, Barry. I mean, you're 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 uh, you're very quiet. Like they're in bed. Tame. You're tame. Yeah, they get drunk mm. very fast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. yeah, you you missed the early years, and we were proper rock and roll. But um, yeah, we only, that's why yeah. we only brought you in to yeah. kind of calm us down. Yeah, I have to get them to bed, Trimby, uh, straight after the gig, because if I don't, you get up in the morning and there's about two of them missing. And then you have to spend the day going around driving. Their phones are dead. So you spend the day driving around. Well, we saw him here at about two o'clock. <laughs> and then he was with this fella. And they get back, they get invited back to these house parties and whatever. And, uh, oh, Jesus. I remember Justin Kilkenny. Do you remember the time of Kilkenny? You were playing at Kilkenny and, uh, years ago and uh, you were all invited back to a house party and we got up the next morning and you were on half of you were missing. It took us a day to find you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mick, there's plenty uh, plenty more occasions when he's made you proud than, than that one occasion when he let you down. But um, uh, listen, that's, that's great stuff, Mick. Great insight. Um, some highlights from, from rugby. One or two um, vague memories of him growing up and then a couple of um, highlights from, from playing in the band and looking after him. Mick, thanks so much. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you better get back and rearrange all the pictures on the wall before Terry gets home. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Les. Thanks very much. And nice thanks, one, Mick. Mick. Enjoy See your you summer. later. Enjoy your summer, Andrew. Thank you. Cheers, Mick. See you. Thanks, ya. man. See ya. Right. To O'Gara. Deflection. Oh, my four does for Murphy. Murphy looking around for support. Okay, though, we've got Keith Earls here. Um, Keith Earls obviously was a lion, seasoned Irish international, won a couple of European Cups with, with Munster, but more importantly, he was a founding member of Hermitage Green. Not a lot of people know that about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a fact. Yeah. I'm an original member. Um, Baz took me under his wing. Um, I suppose we, we'd done a bit of a jam session in his house. Um, <laughs> couple of years back um i was learning how to play the guitar badges was trying to teach me and um yeah i'm still learning to play 
10 years yeah. later. Wow. <laughs> so for, it's my claim. I completely my forgot claim. about that. Yeah, so it's my claim to fame now when Hermes is Green are releasing great songs. I was like, ah, oh, I used to be in that band. Myself <laughs> 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 and Felix Jones used to be in that band. So you're not getting any, you're not getting any of the royalties uh, that you should be getting? No, it's just something I've been thinking about now in lockdown, so I might start sending the lads I'm not, I'm, like, you know. I'm not getting any of the royalties either lads don't worry about it <laughs> um, yeah I remember it man it was upstairs in this room and we there was a couch in there and now I must say I think Dowling might have been in the band as well so that that will just show you how how bad we were <laughs> yeah, no, I think he was just a groupie I think maybe. <laughs> we, so, all just, we all just used Dowling yeah he's playing the triangle in the corner yeah I've never seen a human being with such less rhythm than Ian Dowling like trying to <laughs> trying to clap and it was like astounding <laughs> that he couldn't yeah. clap in time yeah, uh, yeah so uh, yeah it was a good good jam session yeah <laughs> yeah sounds uh sounds like it right so, so that was uh i remember you saying to me before whenever you came into the squad at the start dialing and and barry kind of took you under their wing a little bit was that part of that that process um come over here we'll look after you show you the ropes yeah yeah it was um you know i think it, Baz was on that tour in 2007 I think Baz you in Argentina yeah you, yeah yeah so, yeah because yeah, that was my first pre-season as a academy player I remember Dowles was there and then obviously when you came back from tour back training I remember at the time as well I was training to be an electrician <laughs> so I, was, I was an electrician for for three months <sighs> so I'd, I'd been used to being on the the building sites at eight in the morning, going out to my car, eating my lunch and falling asleep and having to go until four o'clock. And <laughs> I was trying to play a monster <laughs> under twenties at the time. And Dick uh, and Kidney eventually said, right, you're getting burnt out. There's a development contract for you. And I remember my first day as a professional rugby player was we had weights and speed. Doing myself, Baz and Dowles, and I think Kirana Boyle was there, Mossy. We went up to a sports bar in New Orleans and started playing darts. That's like <laughs> half 10 in the morning. And I was like, this is ridiculous. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it was like Dowles, Dowles and Baz, you know, being around on the backs and obviously Moss, Mossy Lawler um, would have had a big influence as well and took me under his wing, buying me Goujon rolls when we were heading to Cork training. Chicken Goujon yeah. rolls. So, um, yeah. so obviously Barry had just come back from, from Argentina, he got a couple of caps over there. Uh, and you were coming through, kind of fancied your chances and fancied fancied his jersey. Uh, I imagine, like whenever he you got close to him, he brought you under his wing. I'd imagine you were you were eyeing him up, like, almost like a snake eyes up his victim. Yeah, I was. I, <laughs> I remember, like it's that old saying, like keep keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Um, you know, Baz Baz had an incredible season. Um, the season four, that or six, obviously. In injuries halted it but you know a lot of people going about this sale game the same sale Troy uh, incredible Troy but I think some of his group stage performance as well I think it was cast Baz I think was it who absolutely ripped it up um, yeah, well, but then the the sale the sale game then I remember um, the papers that week the Limerick leader was like oh a star is born and then I was like back in my head I was so jealous and I was like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, in my own head, it's like, I hope he enjoys it when he can. 
And then I got in and I met Baz and he was sound to me and I was like, oh my God, I'll take all that back. Uh, so I'm going to take this fella's place. Yeah. yeah. It, wasn't long, it wasn't long after that that I moved to the wingers, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, but I remember my first season, my first season coming in and I was like, obviously I was playing 13, you were 13 and I was like, this class now I'll shift him out of his place. But <laughs> I think Dumber just threw me to full back and, and you were playing centre. So yeah, it worked out. Worked yeah. Out well for us. So what, um, there was there was plenty of competition early. Early there was uh, Maths, and then Tapuki arrived. Then, um, yeah, yeah the, boys, so the boys didn't help. <clears throat> like you know, I think Maths and Baz when they when they played in the centre together it was, um, you know, Munster great centre partners. But I think between the two of them, it was it was special two of them. Like I think Baz Baz was nearly like he's one of the first rugby players from Limerick to have to have that X factor. Like you know, obviously Mossy was there as well, and Mossy played in in massive games for Munster and but Baz just had that ability to turn the game upside down and and create something from nothing and I suppose got us young lads excited as well, knowing that he was just a limerick sham as well from across the across the bridge and you know he was leading the way for us. Yeah, I I remember thank you for that man. That's that's uh that's class to hear you say that and um I it was the competition. I think at that point was so good in in Limerick, especially um, the gym sessions. You talked about the speed sessions and stuff we had. Like I don't know what it's like for you now, but back then it was like the level of competition on a Monday morning when we go in and be doing power weights between our myself, yourself, Dowling, Paul Warwick, Kieran Aboyle, Kieran Lewis, and uh, we all were tune at the bit to see who could knock milliseconds off our 30 <laughs> meters and our cmjs and our counter movement yeah. jumps across the mats and like with paul derbyshire's you remember like as the kind of heading up that 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 snc side of things for that monster team in 0809 um especially he set the tone he was just so yeah. uh tough and straight and we knew exactly what we had to do then he tom cummins who had a phd in rugby strength and conditioning uh and he we just trusted him with everything joe gallon i was also snc and it was just i've never felt so primed as a as a team um and the competition and you could as you said you could put you in full back remember that dragons game you in full back when you scored yeah. a hat trick against dragons maths yeah. is 12 i was i think i was 13 um and you could slot any of us to any position on that team, I think, and that was the beauty of of what we were, what what was going on back then. Um, that there was an understanding between us, um, and it was so exciting to play in that team. Yeah, it was brilliant, and I think I was I was quite blessed as well as a young lad coming through, having to play with that quality. And I suppose you talk about the gym sessions there. I was I was quite blessed as well, you know. I remember Sunday nights used to be like a feeling before a game that nerves getting ready for that gym session on Monday. Yeah, yeah. Um, like trying to beat, like you, you throw champagne in there as well, who's a freak at lifting weights. And then a couple of years later, Felix comes down and he's oh, doing stop. what he does. He's an unbelievable competitor. The bar goes up. The bar goes up again when Felix comes down. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was it was every day. Like you knew every day after training, like you were. You you had to be at your your very best, like you know. And yes. I, re- I think I was. I remember. Sorry, go on. No, no. I think what stood to me. I think I was quite blessed. I I'd worked with um, 
Tom Cummins while I was in school. Like as you say, there Tom has a, a PhD, um, unbelievably intelligent fella, and I used to work with him before school. So I kind of had two years working with him. I think I was part of some of his assignments for college, even. Um, so I got I got a two year head start in me. So yeah. hey. <laughs> the snake again. The snake again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So look, yeah, Tom, Tom was, Tom was incredible. We were quite blessed. Well, I think I was quite blessed to yeah. get him at 16, 17, <clears throat> you know. Absolutely. And I think when you came in, there was that level of, I was talking to Trimby about it last week when he was in school, there was talks of Trimby coming out of school and it was like, he's, he's going to be the next big thing. And we'd certainly had that in, in Munster when you, when yourself and Connor came out of, uh, came out of Munchens, there was that level of excitement about the 2E as well. Um, and you know it's it's very rare that happens. Um, so obviously a lot down to, to Tom Cummins and the coaches and Munchens. But uh, we, uh, you came in. I, I remember you being quite serious, and I was like, "Right, he's a serious fella." Um, and then I remember playing darts and getting a bit of crack. And then I think maybe your first game, we went was it Ospreys? We travelled together, and uh, we were in the airport, and we were sitting next to each other, and you said. Um, how many packs of chungum do you think I could get in my mouth at once? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, five, all right. So he goes up and buys five packs of hubba bubba and tries <laughs> to put in his mouth. I remember him violently ill on the airplane as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was being, I was all, I was a all snooker sick. ball, a snooker yeah. ball of chewing gum in your mouth. <laughs> Yeah, I was being all serious and obviously because it's something I wanted to do Jeez, most of my childhood was play for Munster but then when I came into the environment and I seen the crack the lads were having so I was like right thanks leaving my guard down here a small bit and try, try and do something funny see if the lads like me You might yeah. have thought Earl Z, you might have um, thought whenever you came into the environment you know there was all these rock stars you know the O'Connells the O'Garas whatever all those guys, and you might have thought Barry was, you know, an access point into that, you know, a kind of friendly face to kind of get you started. Yeah, and I suppose that's that's the great thing about Baz. I think he he just gets on with everyone. Like you know, there isn't said like he could have a conversation with anyone about anything, and he'd hold the conversation easily, and he can get on with all sorts of personalities. And you know, for him to be like he was a rock star when I was coming in and obviously Pauline then but you know the way it was with Raj unless you were capped at 21 he didn't want to talk to you um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm only messing um, I'm not really um, so yeah Baz, Baz and those were were quite sound they were like just lads and as I said they're mossy as well they were just normal normal boys yeah. like uh, look, it was. I think one of one of the biggest regrets for me finishing up at twenty eight, uh, Trimby was I'd played a couple of times uh, in the centre, only twice early in the centre with you. I think you played twelve and I played thirteen. And one of the matches I got man of the match. The second one I wasn't far off it, and I reckon it was down to how much space you were creating and how much uh, of an understanding we had. Uh, because I, I've always felt that was the most important thing for a 12-13 combination was to really understand the person you were playing with and uh, be being an, a, a Limerick young fella and kind of knowing what you were about and both their fathers being steeped in Munster rugby and I, I just felt, immediately felt the connection with you coming out of Munchens as well 
And uh, I loved obviously playing at any so any position on the field with you. But fuck, I loved when we played uh, in the centre. I know maybe you weren't, uh, you didn't have your eyes set on being a twelve. But um, do you, do you have any memories of of those those games? Yeah, we played against it was a Connacht. I think was my first game at Tom Park as a twelve. I'd never. I don't think maybe once in school I played twelve. But obviously, when you step up to that level. And I remember couldn't figure out how to defend that 12. It was, it was so hard. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it because I remember it was at Mass. Mass used to play 30 games a season, whatever. And I think Tumper or whoever wanted to give him a break. So I ended up playing 12. And then I was trying to be like Mass and I was trying to draw all these crazy offloads. But that's yeah, when you were, quite, you were quite bulky back then as well. Yeah, I was like, I remember coming in after an off season and. Um, Paulie and Hayes were standing at the gym and they were like, Jesus Christ, you're in the taxi with your father for the summer working away. <laughs> I came back like 98 kg, um, unbelievably fat. But um, yeah, no, it was enjoyable. And I think that's that's why my I think my first season, whatever, my first couple of games playing full back. And with you at 13, the amount of space we, I suppose we created for each other. Um, as I said, I don't even think you knew what way you were going with your... I used to love that about his. And he used to call you Bandy. Your legs used to be all over the place and just creating space. And, you know, I think we did complement each other in that way. You, yeah. said his, uh, you said his arms or his hands had a mind of their own. Yeah. That's socially, yeah. though, that's off the pitch, that, is it? No, it, it was both. It was off the field and it was on the field. So when he was running on the field, the ball would be up around here and he, <laughs> he'd, he'd be confused and I was blaming him playing with him and confusing ourselves and then when we were out socially and having a few points you look out over at Baz and you can see as the night goes on the hand just starts to come up and you just see just Baz standing in the corner like that just drinking and it just so yeah he's, his hand used to his hands used to have a mind of their own um, oh, well look when he, those, when those nights those nights the, after 2008 uh, Cup final like they were some of the best nights I've ever had in my life weren't they and, uh, and yeah. what I loved about you is like when you walked in the door Adele uh, your wife came with you like as a young fella like and she took over as as much uh, as you did um, yeah well like like I was only 20 like I don't I know Trimby said there to start a few like I don't consider myself having a cup you know and I remember I was on the bench for the final and never got on so I didn't actually play a minute of Europe but I remember like it's purely like the best seat in the house as a supporter. Like I was on yeah. the bench, I got to live it. Would that have been uh, earlier with many of the boys? Obviously, whenever things went south for you, was there a conversation? By the way, did did um, the lads in Hermitage Green have to say, "Listen, I think um, we're going to have to uh, get someone <laughs> a proper guitarist in here"? But after you left the band, then did you become a big fan? And would a lot of the lads gone along to the, the early gigs and supported the boys? Yeah, yeah. Like obviously, like because it was my first time ever coming across music or someone who could play an instrument. I think the only one was my grandfather playing the guitar or the banjo, and that was about it. But <laughs> I, I genuinely couldn't get over the talent, and I was so surprised how I suppose Baz being such a good rugby player, how he was such a good singer as well. I was like, it's annoying. This, fella, this fella's pissing me off. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So the couple of early gigs, like you know, they obviously played in the Corrigan or in Limerick. You know, I don't even think they were getting paid. You just go go over and jam, and then people, you know, start figuring out that they were over there, and you know, we can over supporting the lads. 
Um, I think they played, he played Nadir a few times, Baz, small little pubs mm. maybe, and just gone out and sitting there. We didn't obviously Dorlins came along and um, they started growing, yeah, and it was brilliant, you know, they started kicking off and into a few other gigs in, in Kilkee as well, having a, a couple of date, date nights listening to the boys. It was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's been great to get that support from the lads, to be fair. Like, you've always used it as a night out or or we've even played a few end of season season gigs uh, for, for the boys, which was unbelievable. And then Idel sending me videos yesterday of the girls dancing and singing uh, our latest song. It was pretty yeah, class as well. Yeah, they're, they're obsessed. I, whole, I cut the grass last week for an hour and I just had it on repeat. <laughs> the grass or whatever it's, it's um well, it's definitely caught on in this house um lma laurie absolutely blasting it out so yeah it's it's definitely my favorite song of year so fair play legend thank you very much i appreciate yes. that nice one earlsy well listen thanks so much for for coming on and taking a trip down memory lane uh, a few good memories there and um we'll let you get on you're away for the day are you yeah, I'm gonna head down to the the mobile home blown Kilkey with day off tomorrow, so get down with the girls. Good how's man. it going? How how's it how's it been getting back, enjoying it? Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Um you know, getting back seeing the lights, there's there's nothing better than having to crack with the boys, you know. I was getting I was getting a bit stale, going out to the shed and training on my own and talking mm. to myself, but <laughs> it's good to go back getting abuse and giving abuse and um, hopefully hopefully it'll last and hopefully we can start getting back together in big groups and hopefully games go ahead in August you know as if the public can listen to the specialists yeah yeah good stuff nice one thanks Thanks a million man cheers lads yeah okay Erlzy thanks a lot for coming on Um, cheers we'll catch you again Um, Barry does that make you feel all warm and fuzzy as a man who loves nostalgia? Took a trip down memory lane. What's your? How do you reflect upon that? It does, and to have someone of I feel almost like Jesus. People will be listening to this going with Keith Earls on the show, and we get to we don't get to listen to him talk about his own career, um, which has obviously been incredible. Uh, but so it's very humbling to have a guy like Earls come on and talk to me, talk about me. Um, but yeah, it does. I loved. Um, as obviously we talked about before when uh, getting into that monster setup and the struggle I had and the the um, lack of confidence of what I had and I as I said it was so daunting and I, I found it so hard but then once I I started realizing how lucky I was and how um, you know how amazing it was that I was amongst the best players in the country and some of the best players in the world and I was learning so much it was just a roller coaster. Um, and with all the injuries I had, I suppose it got pretty difficult. And, um, I, you know, looking back, I don't, for nine years I was there, uh, I don't think I'd gone three months without a pretty substantial injury, which uh, is, fuck, you take, like in the, when you're in the middle of it, as you know yourself, you don't really dwell on it too much. And the, the, the support you get from the players and the medical staff and all that is so incredible that you're, you, you, you kind of look after, but mentally uh psychologically what you have to go through as a player going through all that is fuck it's so hard um so when i think back there is like um 
bit of a it's a bit of a dark period as well as having so many highs um and then to to go out at 28 with a with a, a career ending injury when i i was i think i was a, a slow to develop a lot of time especially physically and and psychologically with my confidence so by the time i'd reached 27 i felt like i was really coming into my own and i i was finally making an impact just not on the field but um off the field with the monster i was like this i'm i'm here now I, i'm i'm here to kind of put my stamp on it and I, I really felt like more of a senior player and um it was you know what a buzz to be to be involved in that as i said earlier on working with the likes of o'connell and raj and again axel for me was was so integral in that part and i i even like to take a minute to just talk about that because i've never talked about it before and and what he meant to me and uh you know, losing Axel um, a few years ago, and uh, I've never, I've never really experienced anything like that, and it was so heartbreaking. And um, the only way I can describe it is Axel. I've I've thought about him so much, and I've thought about what he meant to me in that development part of my life. And do you never meet someone who I, I maybe think about how? every person has a unique relationship with another person. You, you, no one has the same relationship. So you, we're all a bit different. And the more open you are, I think the more chance you are of having really genuine uh, relationships. And he, I always felt like he was open to me as much as he didn't say much or anything, but I just felt like I had such a unique relationship with him that when I walk into a room or walk into a cafe and I'd meet him, he'd give me a little smile that was enough to say like this fella loves me like and he loves having me around and that was all like I mean the last time I met him like we used to play soccer on Monday nights every when I'd retired I was three years into retirement and I found that really hard that 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 you know processing the fact that I was still only 29 30 and retiring and not knowing what I was doing my life and Axel brought me out to Killaloo to play soccer with him and his mates and Woody and and Marcus and Dowling and it was Monday nights was the best part of my week. We'd go out and play five aside, and it was just so nice to be a part of something. And then on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, we'd we'd I'd go into UL and I'd train, and then I'd I'd go up to the cafe that Earlsy's talking about, and Axel could be sitting there and having his coffee, and he was obviously going through a tough time with Monster and coaching, and uh, we just have a moment to sit down and have a bit of breakfast, and all we talk about was playing soccer on the Monday night, and he'd be under these weird delusions that he was he was class uh, at soccer. <laughs> no, he was absolutely useless. But uh, the last time I met him on that Tuesday, he we were chatting away and he just got up and he walked. I thought he was going over to get a cup of coffee, but he just walked out the door without saying uh, goodbye or anything. Like It was just so excellent and so uh, perfect. Um, so yeah, it was, it, when I look back, he's always the first person that almost pops into my head. Um, and you know, and then Olive and, and the kids and um and his parents and his sisters. So yeah, I, I think when thinking back in my career, I owe so much to what he did with the likes of Golov and Claw and, and Raj and Strings and and how they built that monsters team and and that I was so fortunate to to be allowed to play with them and uh, yeah, so that that for me is is the best part of looking back on my career is, is those guys. And um, yeah, I feel very lucky. Yeah. He, he epitomized that whole, that whole generation, didn't he? 
uh, and then they they collectively that he was a, he was he le- he led that they collectively created something and then they handed that down to you and to Earlsy and the rest of the guys and you're all kind of living off that and enjoying that and um and contributing to that as well so I'm sure it was a very special time uh, and I'm sure you look back with, with incredible memories yeah you know it's the dream it's again I, I go back to that I, I, I as a kid that's all I would dream about I could see Tom Park from my bedroom um and I used to go out on the road and or go up to Munchens and I you know practice on my own uh running with the ball in two hands and and having you know thinking about those moments where you like I, I feel like the sale match that when I scored that try and I, I hate harping on it because I didn't have huge moments in my career but uh, or a lot but I had a couple and I, I feel like I, I had actually dreamt about that happening and I don't mean like dreaming in bed asleep I mean like sitting and thinking about something and going man wouldn't that be class if you know you got the ball and you make a little break and you um and and doing it for Munster at the at the top level um it's so powerful to to have those dreams as a young fella and I think if I was to talk to any kids or any or my own kids like that's the most important thing is to uh have that dream and make it make it real and make it attainable and and uh you know believe in yourself and don't let anyone because you'll you'll find the people that'll knock you along the way and that's that was always the hardest part for me and it almost stopped me developing and becoming um you know uh you know a, a professional rugby player or whatever but thankfully I had enough people around me to to show me support as well yeah great stuff great stuff so so pure emotion yeah sure um so so after that then you you talked about that kind of transition period where you were sort of finding your feet and then finding a little bit of identity yes in five-a-side football but also kind of more long-term in uh in in the band and starting the band and was there was that a tough period that transition and then when was the moment or whenever you thought you know what i think something's gonna happen here and this is actually something to be really excited about um it, it it came pretty quick again as I said it was one of the you know when I was a kid it was all I wanted to be was play sport or music and um just like sport music got a few things the music got in the way where it was you know going to teachers who would teach a classical music when all I wanted to do was fucking play um pop music and stuff like that and uh so it was always framed with a little bit of uh I don't know something I didn't like about it but when we started the band it was something to do on a Monday night or a Sunday night when I was playing and it was a distraction and it was just me and my mates in the corner of a pub playing tunes and it was so nice to have that outlet and um I felt day one there was something special my brother is an incredibly talented fella and I was always believed in him becoming I thought he was always destined to become something special in music um but for me, I, I'd never really imagined it. So I was very much riding their coattails for the first few years. Um, musically, um, they're they're so far ahead of me um, that I I was what I was bringing to the table was I could sing, but I, I I was so far behind music and musically, and that was so daunting for me. Like when the my when the rugby career ended so abruptly, then it was like, well, okay, what do I do next? I've got nothing really academically to fall back, and I've no other. Um, you know anything else I'm really good at but the music on a Monday Tuesday night and as Zerlzy said we were just paying for points and paying for for maybe 50 quid here and there but I I just felt that there was something special happening and people started coming to see us and we put up a few videos online and um 
it got traction straight away and that was it I was done that was me for the rest of my life I knew that I had like the rugby I had five mate four mates um that I totally trusted and I knew they were going to be my friends for life and teammates and I was like this is us we can you know what I loved about it was making music that was moving people and people were genuinely drawn to what we were saying or what we were playing and that's um so I was just so mind blown to me. I'd never imagined ever writing anything. I'm not a writer, but yet I was trying to to write stuff that people were listening to. And it's still, you know, it doesn't, the, the hilarity of the whole thing doesn't go beyond me either. Like I'm like sort of trying to write these sometimes bullshit lyrics that I'd be trying to put together. And uh, I'm so cynical that I, I'd be kind of laughing at myself, but and all of a time, all of a sudden, you write something that's genuine, and it's all about that. It's all about writing something that's genuine and comes from the right place. And then when you hear Keith Earl saying he's listened to it for an hour over and over, it's like that's fucking mental. Like, yeah, I'm sure. So it's one thing um, feeling like uh, a monster supporter is really identifying with you know that brand monster and that excitement at the time, and you getting the ball and then you know feeling like they're they're a part of that. Um, that there's a real connection. But it's that's even stronger whenever you're talking about people coming to your gigs because they love their music because they really identify with the songs that you've written. There must be something incredibly powerful and satisfying about that. Yeah, it's um, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's hard to I I, I again I, I can't never too far away from finding the hilarity in it like I'll be on stage and we could be on a big stage and I'll just be laughing to myself going looking at people who are getting so into it emotionally and you're just like this is mental and I um you know Garth Brooks has a, has a documentary out at the moment and it's so cringy how how I've kind of into it he is and how much he wears his heart in his sleeve but it's it's real as much as it looks so cringy and you'd be like, Jesus, it's real. And, and, uh, when I'm on stage, sometimes you, you, you have those moments to yourself where like, this is fucking mad. That it's just someone up on a stage. I'm in a, a big metal stage in the middle of a field up in Port Leash, but it's electric picnic and you're in front of 20,000 people or whatever. And you're, you're playing and mm. it's, um, it's incredible when you have that moment when you look across and I have this thing with Dara or our drummer who the two of us lived above each other and below each other in an apartment in Anacati and near UL and that's when the band started I saw him one day going out with a drum and I had a guitar and I was like do you want to maybe play a few tunes someday and we started playing like in his kitchen I played Jack Johnson song and he drum along and then all of a sudden you're on a big massive stage electric picnic and I'll just look over and he'll be looking at me with this funny look in his face and I know he's thinking the exact same mm-hmm. thing that I'm thinking which is like what the fuck are we doing here when we were just going to play in the kitchen you know so that again is the the magic of having a dream and, and sticking by it so so in those early days then um one of the you're talking about the the, the the people who came along to listen to your music and they were just getting so into it and just swept along. Um, was one of those Orla then? Was she or like was she one of those pothole groupies or was she? <laughs> Orla was the original groupie. Yeah, she used to come to the pub gigs when when you didn't actually have to make it look like you were coming for the gig. You could sit in the corner and think <laughs> like you could make it look like you were just having a pint. And um, she thought she was there for a pub quiz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, the band. Uh, but I spotted her early doors and, and, uh, got chatting to her 
and uh, she was moving to America for a year actually to work in fashion. But we started going out and she'd actually been nominated for the Rose of uh, Tralee. Her friend of hers was on the Rose of Tralee in Limerick and uh, on the committee and wanted Orla to go into it. And she's like, I always call her the anti-Rose because she'd be like smoking weed and, and drinking pints and, uh, you know, a couple of tattoos and loads of earrings and stuff. But she she was like, fuck it, I'm going to go for it for the crack. And I remember uh, Raj was on the was on the the the, the panel to to vote for the Rosa Tralee or whatever the judges. He was one of the judges on the Rosa Tralee, and he came up to me and he was like, "Do you have some some bar to your scoring in the Rosa Tralee?" And I was like, <laughs> and "He goes, do you want me to make her win it?" <laughs> he said to me, "Do you want me to make her win it?" I was like, "What to know, man?" Uh, probably not. I'd say she could win it on her own, but maybe uh, she did not actually. But um, I like to I like to think of how much power Raj would have had in that. Um, so yeah, she had me early doors, and uh, she moved to New York for a year, and then um, she came home and set up shop here, and the rest is history. She uh, we got married, and then the babies, and now fuck, where do we go from here? Nice or babies. No, no more crack, no more babies. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like, I like to imagine that she told you she was expecting the twins um, at a gig, and it was with the sign, "Sorry, I'm pregnant." <laughs> and you're like, and "Oh wow, what amazing and news!" And then she turns the sign around, and it says, "With twins." No. <laughs> <laughs> Is it mine? Are they mine? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Um, Great stuff. Stuff. So yeah. listen, we've we've um we've gone deep and we've gone wide gone um and we've really got got the grips with um with you Barry. Um I think it's pretty clear from from chatting to everyone and, and in my experience anyway, you're one of life's good guys. You're extremely talented in a number of different ways. No one else does that. No one finishes a rugby career and then just um, starts right learning how to play the bass and then writes these songs and becomes as successful in as different an area it's incredible but you're also very you're also very humble about it as well uh your humility was kind of <clears throat> outlined there whenever you wished you'd talked about earlsy's career in the episodes it's all about you <laughs> so um anyway one of my favorite things about retirement has been working with you and hanging out with you every week so i just can't wait till we buy that house in Mullingar, move in together, and then we just commute, <laughs> commute at the weekends and see our wives and kids. <laughs> now you're talking. That's the next dream, man. And we put yeah. that dream out there in the universe and it will happen. Well, you've just, I think it's been proved that when you dream something, it will happen. So, so here we're coming, Mullingar. We're calling for you. Let's make it happen. Um, no. Right, listen, um, we're coming to a close of this um, little bit of nostalgia, but we're also coming to a close for season two. Um, have you any thoughts, any um, reflections, anything, uh, any highlights from the year? We've done it all, Barry. Anything stand I, out? Look, yeah, well, I mean, what a season we've had, Trimby. My God. Um, when you think back to when it started, August last year, <sighs> Electric Picnic. Fly and Paulie, Paulie getting a slap of a dildo on his head. What like that? That for me was when it all kicked off. Um, and the the the, the dildo flowing around electric picnic, 
like reverbing around the place, just landing on everyone's head. That's that's when I think about this season. That's what I'll imagine. And then into the World Cup. I mean, the World we had a World Cup. How fucking long ago does that seem? Um, the disappointment, the frustration, but sitting here on this ground watching it and and um, on the floor with the kids and and oh, Jesus, what a what a time to be alive! I loved it. I loved that time, and I loved sitting in here and uh, or going up to Dublin and and ta- talking about it and the new Irish coaches. Um, and then all of a sudden, we have a pandemic. And we've gotten together, we've gotten through this with all our incredible penguins who have uh, just kept me going with your love and support and um, just your never, never fading support. And then all the guests we've had, I think that blows my mind. Um, and you look at the list of how many international guests from South Africa, Matt Field and John de Villiers, to Drew Mitchell in Australia, um, to Finn Russell in France, Michael Bradley and McKinley in Italy, um, all the Irish players we've had, Kilcoyne, Tygburn, Stockdale, uh, uh, Zeebs over in France, John Cooney, Will Addison, Alton Delan, love talking to Alton Delan. Uh, Tygburn was brilliant. Um, then early in the season, with the likes of Shane Williams and, and Raj in the studio and then our live shows with uh, Greg O'Shea. Greg O'Shea, that was a brilliant night. Uh, Limerick with Sean O'Brien was brilliant. Just been... Pfft, isn't that mad? We've talked to loads of people, man. We've had a great time. We've had a great time. And it feels like um, we've, we're, we're, we're just doing it with a good crowd of penguins and potholes that um, we just brought them with us and they've contributed massively and supported us. And it's been brilliant. I've loved it, Baz. I've absolutely loved it. Yeah. And of course... Uh, our crew that have helped us out um, not not helped us out that have literally put put us together um, Pat been unbelievable the amount of stuff he does we get Pat can Pat unmute himself and let let his hello. voice ring in at her ears hello Pat how's it going good man how are you wiping away the tears here yeah well look you, uh, you're the reason we. You're the, you're the Mick for 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 Hermitage Green. You're the, you're the Pat for Baz and Andrew. You get us out of bed and wipe our arses every morning, <laughs> and uh, and give us all the rugby knowledge we need and line up all the the brilliant guests we've had. So, for myself and Trimby, massive thank you. Cheers and and lads, you you have been brilliant this year. It's um, great fun in the first year and it's Jesus it's, it keeps kicking on keeps kicking on every year like so looking forward to well looking forward to the break and then also looking forward to launching into it again next year or next season exactly. it feels it feels very much like the last day of school and we should be signing each other's uh, shirts and tying <laughs> and putting our ties around our foreheads and going bananas <laughs> so um, listen we've done it all this season Baz we've had live shows twins <clears throat> UFO sightings, cats being used as base amps. Um, next season, we intend to keep the content so wide-ranging that Apple doesn't know what category to put us in. Oh, if Pat doesn't go that. home, if Pat doesn't go home every night concerned that he'll lose his job, then we haven't done our job. Okay, this is yeah. our promise to all you beloved potholes and penguins. We'll be back next year. We'll have more shit movie reviews. We'll have more pathetic, unjournalistic excuses why Ireland haven't been that good. We'll have more average <laughs> stories about our pets and children. Uh, whether you're a pothole or a penguin, we love you all the same. Penguins have contributed mightily by means of 
uh, burpee challenges, penguin cartoons, abusing other Irish rugby podcasts, which is always well received, but just yeah. generally being lovely. We love you all. Uh, and to our lovely, capable team behind the scenes, Pat, Dermot, Paul, Fiona, Anthony. Um, Barry, would you like to sign off one last time for season two? Absolutely. This has been Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby here on Joe, together with Guinness. Party on, Trimby. Party on. You were listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Drink responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie for the facts.